In this series, we'll be taking a look at Paul's letter to the Romans, a church that Paul did not plant. However, he was instrumental through his letters and his time in Rome to establish the foundational concepts of the gospel and leading the way in discipleship. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Oh, thank you. What a blessing. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be your pastor. It's an honor to teach and uh, speak the word of the Lord. And I can tell you this week is no different. As we get to the end of Romans 11 and move into 12, God has done something really neat this week in my studies and in the word I'm bringing to you today. So prepare your hearts now, uh, because I really believe you're going to hear something today that changes your life, and it's changing mine. Uh, The pastors spent a lot of time with Pastor Blake and Josh this week as we talked about this concept of the power of God. So... um, be asking God to reveal that to you. Here's the thing, too. We are starting a new thing. We realize that Romans has been a difficult chapter to get through. We've gone through 11 chapters in a little over, uh, I think, two and a half to three months, which is not easy to get through and could clearly spend years on the book of Romans alone. But we want to do this. Since from the stage, we can really just touch on some of the main highlights of what Paul's doing. We want to give you an opportunity to ask questions, to say, I don't agree with that, but what do you think, to uh, delve deeper into the, what is spoken on a Sunday morning. And so if you have a question about what is spoken today or in the previous 11 chapters of Romans, we want you to write it on a comment card, which could be on the seat in front of you or is out on that little table right as you're walking in, and drop it in one of the three silver bins on your way out. And what we're going to start doing is a Facebook Live video during the week, me and the pastors, and we're going to start answering those questions. We're going to go through them, and, and by using Facebook Live, we can, you can be watching it live and asking questions, and then we'll post them up to YouTube afterwards so you can watch them and see. And just a chance for you to go deeper or have questions answered that you can't get answered when it's on a Sunday morning. So if you want to be a part of that, we'll continue it based off of the involvement we get from you, but just drop any questions you have in the silver bin, uh, and we will go forward. So we're at the end of 11, the last few verses in 11, and as I've said, there's Romans is broken up into four parts. Paul has four parts as he's four main arguments he's preaching, and 11 ends the third part, 12 starts the fourth and final part through 16, and you're going to see a change in tone from Paul. You're going to see a change in how he's writing. A lot of people like to say 1 through 11 is the theology, 12 through 16 is the practical. That's a very simplified view of it. It's not true. There's a lot of practical in 1 through 11. There's a lot of theology in 12 through 16. But he does change a bit of his direction to go from here is everything God is unfolding and here are how Jews and Gentiles work into it. And 12 through 16, he sort of is like, now that you know that, here's how you carry it out. So there is a bit of that. There is a bit of a laying of the foundation, and 12 through 16 is the building the walls of the house of God or extending the members of the body of God. And so I want you to just keep that in mind as we wrap up here. Now, I believe last week in second service we didn't get to, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, did we cover 26, all of Israel will be saved? You remember that? Or did I say we'd save that for this week? Okay, so I'm going to touch on that at the beginning here. And then we're going to read the last few verses in 11 and go through the first five in verse 12, I mean in chapter 12. And uh, I'm going to show you something that I believe is really cool about who God is and what he's made us to be. So uh, verse 25, I mean, yeah, verse 25 of chapter 11 reads like this. So that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, brothers, I want you to understand this mystery 
A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved. For it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, I want to touch on that because that has been a debate in theology for a long time. What does it mean all of Israel will be saved? Is that all Jews will be saved? Is it all present Jews? Is it all future? Is it all past Jews? Like they're God's people. Who gets saved through all Israel will be saved? And the problem with taking that mindset is that you take that verse completely out of the context of the argument from Romans 9 through 11. Paul is wrapping up an argument. And in it, he is teaching the Gentiles, you are fully ears and members of God, and you're fully members with God because of the hardening that came to God's people, the Israelites. Because of their disobedience, a door was opened for you to be able to come in and receive the mercy of Christ. So do not be boastful. Do not be arrogant to Jewish people. Do not think you are better than them, for if it wasn't for their disobedience, you wouldn't even have access to the mercy of the Father. So this was obviously a problem, which is why Paul's addressing it, right? It's a, it's a sort of racism towards another person saying, I'm better than you. In the same way, he's having to speak throughout the book of Romans to the Jews to say, stop telling them they have to get circumcised. Stop telling them they can't eat pig. Thank you, Paul. Then he's basically saying... They don't need to observe our feasts and festivals. All of those were part of the law, which was part of God's plan to draw sin into one place and defeat it. So stop putting the pressures of the law on the Gentiles and love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. So Paul's speaking to both groups. And there's this idea of love, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, but you'll notice he opens up, and I know in this version it says brothers and sisters. In the original it just says brothers, but in Paul's time and language, that meant sisters as well. And he's saying brothers and sisters. And here he's not just speaking to Israelite people. He's speaking to all those who would come to know Christ, Jew or Gentile. And this is important in understanding 26. All Israel will be saved. Because we saw back in chapter 9 that Paul says not all of Israel are Abraham's children. Not all Jewish people are actually children of God. Paul makes that statement. He says that just because you were born, it does not graft you in automatically. Just because you were born a Jew, you automatically are a child of God. Some have hardened their hearts. Some have disbelieved. Some have found Jesus to be a stumbling stone, and they want nothing to do with him. So who is all Israel? Paul further explains this right here, and this is where we'll answer this and then move on. 28. As regards to the gospel... They are enemies of God. This is talking about the Jewish, the Israelites. Are enemies of God for your sake, Gentiles. But as regards to election, they are beloved. What that essentially means is because they are God's chosen people, election, Israelites, they are beloved. They are like the lost prodigal son. Remember that parable? They are the prodigal son. They have turned astray. They are still God's uh, chosen people, and he longs to see them return home. They are beloved because of election for the sake of their ancestors. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So just because they are currently hardened, just because they are currently turning away, God's gifts and calling on them as a people is irrevocable, meaning he will bring about redemption to them at some point. Just as you were once disobedient to God but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy that is shown to you, 
they may receive a mercy now. Again, this is grace. This is that so no man can boast. Well, I'm Jew, so obviously I'm one of God's chosen. This is Paul saying, no, no. Through the mercy that you are being shown in their disobedience, they now must reach out for mercy from God as well. You see that? So that no man may boast. Verse 32. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he may be merciful to all. All Israel, all Israel, what Paul means and what he is wanting to get across in this letter is that because of the disobedience of the Israelite people, because they uh, did not see the Messiah for whom he was, that Paul is not preaching a new gospel. He is not preaching a new theology. He, being steeped in Judaism and the Old Testament understanding and knowledge, is saying, look, it was here all along. Here's Jesus in Abraham. Here's Jesus in Joseph. Here's Jesus through Isaiah and Job and Jeremiah. He was always here. And that's who he's quoting. It was always him. I'm not preaching anything new. It was always supposed to be this way. This isn't plan B that the Gentiles should come in. It was God's plan from the beginning that Adam would sin, right? That technically a Gentile, Adam, would sin. And so God would use his chosen people, the Jews, to bring about reconciliation to all of man. But for that period of time, sin would have to grow to its fullness in the Jewish people. And when it did, the Messiah would come. This is what the prophets were talking about the whole time. This is Paul. I'm just imagining him, the frustration. This is what they were talking about. Not just so that we could serve Yahweh, but so that all of Israel. And so during this time of the hardening of the hearts of the Israelite people, the Gentiles are coming in. And God's church is growing. And so when it says all of Israel will be saved, it's saying all who believe in the name of Jesus. It is all Israel, Jew and Gentile alike. This is what he is referring to. And he's saying as long as they remain hardened, the Gentiles can come in and Israel will be made full and it will be made whole. And there will be a time when God will redeem his people, the hearts of the Jewish people who are alive, who will see and have their eyes opened up to who he was. That time is coming, and if you follow anything going on in Israel or Jewish teaching, you'll see that it's actually starting to unfold in a great way. There is a great coming to Christ in the Jewish community, and it's, uh, go, go, go look it up, go research it. Uh, Jewish Ministries, I think .org has got a great piece on it. But God's chosen, God's elect, are coming to see him, which is kind of a neat thing. So, um, verse 33, so this is the end of this section. This is the end of this train of thought for Paul. So as we read through the Bible, it's important to know that these last three verses here are Paul sort of closing this argument and thought, and this is how he closes it, and this is beautiful, quite possibly one of the most well-written pieces of Scripture in this entire Bible are these last three verses of Romans 11, and this is what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him in order to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul, at the beginning of what I read here in 25, says, 
Look, what I'm about to tell you is a mystery. He doesn't try to explain it. He doesn't try to tell you why God hardened the hearts of the Israelites, why he chose the Israelites to be his chosen people, why they would wander for so long away from him, why they would miss the Messiah when he came. He doesn't answer any of that. We don't fully know why God chose that path. But if you, being a thinking person, were to read this, there should be something in you that says, how, if he is a good and gracious and mighty God, would he do that to his own child? I'm a good parent, and I'm earthly, and I'm a sinner, I wouldn't do that to my child. You ever feel that way? Paul says it's a mystery. It's a mystery. I don't understand this mystery. He says, I want you to understand it. But here's the deal. We don't know the ways of God. This is how Paul closes his thought. Remember, this isn't just the thought of 11. This is from 9, 10, and 11. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He's quoting the prophet Isaiah, and then he's going to quote Job, the suffering servant. Did you catch that? Who is your counselor, O Lord, who has given a gift to you to expect anything in return? Job said something similar when he was crying out to God for answers as to why he was being persecuted, why he was suffering. And God told him one of my favorite lines in Scripture, gird up your loins. Job, like a man, and tell me, where were you at the foundations of the earth? Do you tell the waters where to stop? Do you tell the lightning where to strike? Do you have rain stored up in silos for times of famine? Job's like, no. I have boils and sackcloth. And at the end of all that, Job confesses what Paul writes here, who am I to counsel you? For to you, and through you and for you are all things. That is an incredibly humble, vulnerable statement. And for many of us, even those here in this room, that is a difficult statement to make. You might be able to say it with your mouth because you're in church and you know you should, but when you rubber meets the road and you're out in life and the tragedy strikes and suffering strikes, can you actually say to you and for you and through you, are all things your glory forever, O oh God. Amen. It's humbling to do that. What keeps man from God is not reason, is not a lack of scientific proof. It is the ability to humble oneself, one's will and desires before an almighty God and say, not mine, but yours. This is what Paul is even doing here. He's saying, look, I'm as intelligent as it gets on the Old Testament. I'm as intelligent as it gets when it comes to this new God. I have studied it and given every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears to it, and I'm telling you at the end of the day, I have to say, who am I to counsel you, O God? For you are greater than I, and to you, for you, and through you are all things. And until you get to that point in your walk with the Lord, you are going to struggle with walking in the power of God. I'm going to explain what I mean about that here. This is the part I'm super excited about. I had to lay a foundation. In fact, all of the last three months have been a foundation leading up to this point. Right here. Let's read the first five verses in Romans 12. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore. Remember, whenever you see a therefore... What's it there for? We go back to those last verses, to him, for him, through him. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members each to one another. Do you guys get those pictures in? The pictures of the Brit? Um, show that first one where it's just the two sides coming together. Has anybody seen the bridge at Hoover Dam? Has anybody been there and seen that? You know, so you don't have to drive over the dam. You can now take this bridge if you're going up to Vegas. It's okay. You can admit it. You were just passing through Vegas. You weren't stopping. I understand. So was I. Just passing through to get to somewhere more holy. Um, so how they build it, and I, I, this isn't my picture, but I did actually drive on the dam when it was being built, and it was at a similar stage to this is you would think you would just start at one side and build it all over to the other side. But they don't, right? And there are engineers in here who could tell me why and give me the science behind it. But they actually start on opposite sides and build it to meet in the middle. And then, here, where's this final picture? Go, go to the one of it completed here. Look at that. Spanning that kind of a chasm. Everything has to be on. When you get to the middle, if you're like four feet off, if you're like a foot off, it's not like, let's just make it, like, we can cock that, right? <laughs> That's why I love working with wood, because <laughs> you cut a baseboard too long, you're like, oh, yeah, you can just cock that. Or my poor wife, like, I just cut the baseboard, she does all the cocking and the painting, and there's, like, massive gaps, and it's like this, and by the time she's done, she's, no, she's an artist with it, and so, uh, but you can't exactly cock that. Like, you've got to be right on, I want to use this as an analogy to understand what's going on here with the Lord. Because you can look around this world and realize that we are not fully transformed, we are not fully renewed, and so we can say, this is a bunch of hogwash. But I want you to look at it not as this picture, the final product, but as the picture of the two pieces. That there is this awe-inspiring, breathtaking chasm that is needing to be crossed. And what Jesus Christ is, is that bridge, that chasm to all mankind, and the work isn't finished yet. The work isn't finished. He's connecting two sides to meet together in, in a glorious connection over a chasm we couldn't cross on our own, but you can't look at it and see all the problems and the struggles and the trials that are still going on and say, well, he's not good. The work isn't finished yet. In fact, your life, your actions are part of finishing that work. That's our job. Now, I say the word job, and I want you to hear this. For me, when I hear the word job or vocation, maybe better yet, career, vocation, I get excited. 
As a man, the idea of being in a career that I love and a vocation that I'm called to, it's exciting. You wake up in the morning and you've got purpose. You get vision at night while you're sleeping and you go to work the next day and you implement it and you see success from it. For That's exciting to me. For some of you, the word job might not mean excitement. So for you, I want to use the word passion. What are you passionate about? What could you see investing your time and energy and, and finances, all, all of it into? Remember, anything we work at is always going to be work at some point. Right? Michael Phelps doesn't get up every day grateful to swim and eat 10,000 calories, which I wish I had that problem. But not every single day is wonderful, but he's operating in his passion. He clearly loves what he, does, he did. But it's about a job. I want you to see that here. You have a job. I'm going to explain to you now the problem we're seeing in the church today is not a lack of God's Holy Spirit, is not a lack of uh, Christians just not seeing God move how we used to move. It is us as men and women of God who have given the power of God over to the things of the world. I want to explain that here. I want to explain that. He says, I appeal to you I beg of you, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is a spiritual act of worship. Then, then, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is he talking about? What is that renewing? Here's the problem, is the Christian church today says that renewing is, well, now that I'm a Christian, I said the prayer, I don't drink or I don't smoke in excess. Obviously, no sex before marriage. That one's real wrong. That's bad. I do 10 minutes of devotion a day. Once you've been a Christian for six months, it moves to 15. And then it stays there until you've hit the five-year mark, at which point it's 30 minutes a day. Right? These are all of the things that it means to transform your mind and, and be renewed by God. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't lie. I don't covet my neighbor's car or his wife or his super awesome gun collection. None of it. I don't covet anything. Why? Because I'm a Christian. My mind's been transformed and renewed. No. That's a lie. It's a load of fooey. Okay, I'm going to say crap. Crap. We'll just bleep it out. Just bleep. It's crap. That's moralism. It's actually got its own religion. It's called moralism. It is a striving and a trying to do good and be good for the purpose of being good. You see, Christians have adopted it in the name of the Lord. And we say, well, in the name of Jesus, I do this. Man, I try and I fail. I try and I fail. I just can't uphold it. And Paul's like, no kidding, you can't uphold it. You weren't meant to uphold it. That's not the renewing I've been talking about. I could imagine Paul sitting in a church of modern Christians, listening to them complain about the things that are so difficult in their life, about how they try to be moral people and how they came to Christ and they just don't feel it. Paul would smack you upside the head and say, what? You don't feel it? That's never what it was about. Do you miss what I was saying when I say to be transformed? Okay, here we go. This is it. The next two minutes here. This is the focus. Why were we put on this earth? To be God's image bearers. We know that. The earth is his tabernacle. We were made in his image. We're the only part of creation made in the image of the creator. Now watch. What is sin? Sin is the failure to do and see what is made clear to you. 
what was made clear to us, that we are to bear the image of God. What's it mean to bear the image of God? It means to operate, walk, act, and live in the authority of God Almighty. That's what Adam and Eve were doing before the tree. They were operating. They took dominion. They named the animals. They searched out the whole garden. It was their dominion. They walked with God in the garden. They had the power of God upon their life. It was their job. It was their vocation to bear the image of God. It was their pleasure and their passion to bear the image of God. And what happened one day, the opportunity came up to trade that power for something else. You ever looked at it like that? You ever looked at the garden like that? The snake came up and said, I'd like to make a trade with you. Your current job is to bear your creator's image. How would you like a better job? How would you like a raise, a bonus, a promotion? How would you like to not just bear his image? How would you like to be as he is, knowing good and evil? You just give me the power, and I'll give you the knowledge of good and evil. That's what happened in the garden. Man took the power of God that is given to us, and he trades it for whatever the world has to offer. Now fast forward to you and I today. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many of you know that you have a job as a man or a woman of Christ? You have a job as a child of Christ. You don't have to be over 18 to see your job. You don't have to be over 18 to fulfill your passion and vocation. You are an image bearer of God when you say, Lord Jesus. That's that bridge, right? He came, and he made that bridge, and he's got it working, and it's already there. And he said, you're mine. I want you to keep working on it. You see, when Christians become so wrapped up with getting off this earth and getting to heaven, we lose sight of the fact that we're here for a purpose. We have a job. Talk about a great lie of the enemy. Let's not even, I don't need to get them to sin. I just need them to realize and misunderstand that they have a job. It's to bear the image of God because if they start to act in that job and they begin to be image bearers, they'll start to act in the power of God because he's given them that power. And so what's he get us to do? He gets us to look forward to this place with golden streets and pearly gates and clouds and harpsichords and angels and mansions and we totally miss our vocation. That's right. Men and women of God who have given their lives to Christ miss their vocation because they're sitting there focused on this place called heaven. You want to know how many times in the book of Romans Paul talks about heaven as a place we fly up to? Zero. Zero. Where did that come from then? Why is that preached? Why is that what you, if you grew up in the church, knew that was your ultimate reward? If you were a good Christian and you didn't have sex and you didn't drink and you didn't smoke and you didn't listen to rock and roll and you didn't like the Dodgers. What if <laughs> that last one, it was a rough week for me. My Diamondbacks, <laughs> I'm sorry. Right? You were taught all this, that if I didn't do all these things and I got to go to this special place called heaven, that's not biblical. God doesn't need us to vacate this earth and get off this disgusting rock. This is his tabernacle. We are his image bearers, filled with the power of God Almighty. You want to see limbs regrow? You want to see eyesight restored? You want to see the hardest heart softened? You want to see bitterness and anger dissolved in an instant? Then pray with the power of God. That's your job. 
It's not my job or Josh's or Blake's job. That is children of God. That's our job to accept the fact that I have a job and my job is to walk in the power of God. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, be renewed by the transforming of your mind. See, the earth has us thinking a certain way. Sin and the world has us thinking a certain way. They teach us what love is. The world teaches us who to forgive and who not to forgive. The world teaches that if it's good for you to mess over your neighbor, then do it. The world teaches its patterns, and Paul says, no, you need to be transformed. You need to understand you're not an image bearer of the world. You're an image bearer of God Almighty. And if you would begin to take that back, you would begin to see the power of God at work in your life. And the reason the church is the tell of culture and not the head of culture is because we have hundreds of thousands of Christian men and women who do not go to work each day, who are waiting for heaven, waiting to get off this rock, waiting for somebody else to do their job. And I'm telling you, the reason I'm so passionate about this right now is because the exciting thing that came to me as the Lord showed me this, this transforming and this power, is that I've been missing out. Even me, even someone who spends their life in study and worship, and I've loved the Lord, and I've known I've had a job in ministry, I've been missing out on trading the power of God. Now, what do you trade the power of God for? This is where it's going to really hit home practical for you. You see, you trade the power of God to fear when an event comes up in your life that you weren't ready for, when a health diagnosis comes back as worse than you thought, and you take the power of God and you say, here you go, fear, and you hand it over to fear and you begin to live your life in fear and anxiety. And Christian brothers and sisters, they come around you and they pray for you and they pray for healing and anointing, but it doesn't matter. Any power you've had, any image bearing you've had, you've already given it to fear. Many of us trade our power to pride and arrogance we trade our power to sex. We trade our power to addictions, to lust. We take the power of God, and we don't, it doesn't get taken from us. It doesn't get stolen. We hand it over willingly to these things. And then we come to church, and we say, I don't know why I can't hear his voice, or I don't know why I can't stop doing this. And Paul would say, it's real easy. You've given the power, you've given your job to the enemy. You know what Paul would say? He would say, it's not hard to get it back. Just take it back. The enemy's weak. The one inside you is stronger. He's overcome the enemy. Just go take it back. Amen. Take it back. What have you given power to in this world that you need to take back? You are sons and daughters of the king. Hear me on that. And we've read over the last few months the power of what it means to be full heirs, members, adopted, sons and daughters into the family of God. And we go, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. And then we walk out of here and we continue to hate our spouse or we continue to struggle with self-doubt and we continue to give power to these things. And when Paul says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he's saying, walk back into the thing you've given power to and take it back. So as I'm preaching this this weekend, that's why I'm wearing a Band-Aid. Um, I put a drill bit through my finger. And this weekend, I'm fixing a thing on my truck, and it was, should have been a 30-minute fix, real simple actuator problem. Five and a half hours later, 
200 miles around Arizona in multiple junkyards, uh, it still wasn't fixed. And I can remember at the last point, everything looked good, and I buttoned it all back up for the sixth time, my door panel, and I went and turned the key over and went and pressed the button, and it was just like, didn't work. And I could just feel the anger. You know that feeling when the back of your neck starts to get hot? And it wasn't because it was 95 out yesterday. It was just anger. And then I said, like the words of all this that I've been studying came back to me. Are you going to hand over the power to anger right now? And I went, no. But I'm going to keep frustration. <laughs> like that's what I said to myself. Like in the truck, I'm like, but I'm going to be frustrated. That's righteous, isn't it? Like not angry, but frustrated. And then I literally heard, like, I don't know if it was God or Paul or somebody just be like, really? You're going to give power to frustration? And as I'm driving back home with still a broken door latch and actuator, I just begin to pray. I said, Lord, no, I don't give it to any of that. I give power and glory to you. Thank you for the trip around Phoenix today. <laughs> Thank you that I got to meet interesting people at the three junkyards I visited today. And by the time I got home, I was smiling and happy, and I pulled out the old actuator and actually rebuilt it, figured out how it worked, rebuilt it. It all worked, put it in the truck. It was done in like five minutes, done. I'm not kidding. It was that simple. But if I would have come home frustrated and angry, my wife and children would have felt the brunt of it. I wouldn't have fixed my problem. The rest of my day would have been affected by it. Guys, the power of God is here. It is no different than what we read about. You've just got to take it back. You see, you gave it unknowingly, but you will get it back knowingly. You will get the power of God back and say, I refuse to give lust power in my life. I refuse to give addiction power in my life. I refuse to give unforgiveness, which I've held towards a spouse or a friendship, power in my life. I'm going to take it back. If our church in Santan Valley begin to do that, if the hundreds of people that attend here begin to say, no, I'm walking in the power of the Lord. That's my job. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do it today. Or we're going to see a revival like this side of Arizona has never seen. You catch that? That's what it means to be transformed. That's what it means. Will devotions come? Will prayer come? Will life change come? All of that comes as a byproduct of a transformed mind. You hear me? God knows we're not strong enough to change all those things on our own. He doesn't call us to get those things perfect and then come to him. He says, transform your mind first. Begin to operate in my power first. I'll take care of the rest. Let's pray and take communion. Heavenly Father, Lord, let these words be heard today as your words, Father God. Speak to the hearts of those here who would have ears to listen, who would be bold enough to say, Lord, take uh, my life Lord, and re, uh, help me return to work. Help me go back to the job of being your image bearer. And, and could I operate in your power, Lord? Would I operate in your understanding, in your power? Would I have access to it again, oh Lord? Father, for those in here who know and have identified the things in their life that they have given power to that is not you, I pray that they would come before you here now, whether it's on their knees at their seat or at the altar or in the prayer room, and that they would say, Lord, I... I give you the power over this area of my life. I speak it out, Lord. I confess it with my mouth. I believe it in my heart. And I pray that you will uphold it. Bless the name of Jesus in this place. Bless the work of the cross. 
as we take communion now. We ask that you have a relationship with Christ to partake of it as per the scriptures. And I just want to say this, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, but something said today, you're like, I got to know more about what that means. Our prayer room is open in the back and we've got prayer partners back there who just want to pray with you. If you want to ask questions, they'll answer your questions. But don't leave here today without making a journey back there. And when you're done and if you accept the Lord today and you say, I get it, it's our honor to take that first communion with you. But if you're going to take communion now, we've got three up front and three stations in the back. You can go to whichever one's closest. The body, the bread is the body and the juice is the blood of Christ, which was shed for the forgiveness of sins. So you can go ahead and take that now and we'll close in worship. Thank you.